morning. I'm Annika Colbert. It's Tuesday, June 7th. License plate data and law enforcement. More on that next, but first, let's do the headlines. Today is California's primary election day. UC San Diego political science professor Thad Kauser says low voter turnout for primary elections is expected. As of yesterday, less than 20% of ballots had been returned, according to Political Data Incorporated. But for this election, the question is what motivates voters to head to the polls? Well, this year looked more like 2018 when when the nation and especially Democrats were galvanized to, to, to overturn Congress and vote against Donald Trump. Or will it look like 2014, which was the lowest turnout percentage in California's state history? In-person voting locations can be found online and mail-in ballots can be dropped off until 8 o'clock tonight. San Diego Mayor Todd Gloria says he's serious about addressing homeless encampments. The mayor says there will be more arrests if people refuse help, though this follows lesser enforcement like warnings and tickets. We've tried to remove every excuse that there is for accessing these services. I recognize for some folks, they don't want to do it. The question is for San Diegans, do we want to have our sidewalks serve as housing? The answer is no. He says the city is easing some shelter rules for those who have pets or a spouse and those with substance abuse issues. Sweetwater Union High School District students and staff attending summer programs will have to wear masks indoors. The rule went into effect on Monday following a rise in COVID-19 cases. According to the school district, since spring break, there have been more cases reported per week on campus than during the Delta variant surge in the summer of 2021. From KPBS, you're listening to San Diego News Now. Stay with me for more of the local news you you need. KPBS On Demand is supported by UC San Diego Osher Lifelong Learning Institute, hosting an open house to learn about the upcoming classes and seminars, member benefits, and meet the volunteer leadership team, Saturday, March 30th. Registration at extendedstudies.ucsd.edu slash O-L-L-I. In a response to an iNews source investigation earlier this year, two police departments in San Diego County said they would stop illegally sharing license plate data out of state, at least until a lawsuit in Northern California further clarified the issue. But as iNews source's Cody Dulaney reports, the debate has been settled. Last week, the Marin County Sheriff agreed to stop sharing driver's location data with out-of-state and federal agencies. The settlement confirms what iNewsource reported in January. This practice is against the law. Adam Schwartz is one of the attorneys who argued the case. There are many police departments in California that are continuing to violate this law, and they need to stop. Police in Escondido and La Mesa have decided to end the practice. For KPBS, I'm iNewsource investigative reporter Cody Dulaney. Source is an independently funded nonprofit partner of KPBS. Lawyers for five defendants in the Fat Leonard corruption probe on Monday focused the jury on who didn't testify. KPBS military reporter Steve Walsh says after 14 weeks, the case is about to head to the jury. Five former naval officers are accused of accepting bribes to funnel Navy ships to contractor Leonard Francis, who has pleaded guilty. 
The attorney for Captain Jim Dolan says Francis's lavish parties were just part of how business was done in the Pacific. Joseph Mancano, the attorney for former Captain David Newland, asked why the man dubbed Fat Leonard hadn't taken the stand. He said, I think you know why, because the government considered him too untrustworthy to testify. Prosecutors were caught off guard when Francis appeared in a podcast last year. He remains out of prison awaiting sentencing. The remaining defense attorneys are scheduled for closing arguments Tuesday. The government will get the last word before the case goes to the jury. Steve Walsh, KPBS News. Gas prices have been rising steadily for months now. As KPBS reporter Alexander Wynn tells us, the high prices are hurting people who drive for a living. At San Diego International Airport, where construction has closed off the parking lot at Terminal 1, more travelers are relying on rideshare drivers to get to and from the airport. But there are fewer rideshare drivers now because of the high cost of gasoline. Lavina is a driver who says she continues to work because people still need her service, but it comes at a cost. It's been a, I, I have to work more per tank and I'm not, it's not adding up as, as well as it used to. She says she has to work 10 hours a day just to make as much as she used to. AAA says because of demand, gas prices aren't dropping anytime soon. Alexander Nguyen, KPPS News. Coming up, San Diegans are stepping up to help Ukrainian refugees with medical needs. Maybe I can't stop the war, but I can make it better for the people who are here. We'll have that story and more next, just after the break. KPBS On Demand is supported by the San Diego County Toyota Dealers, whose commitment to customers extends to giving back to the community and who are proud to support the City of San Diego lifeguards with their important role of keeping our beaches safe. Toyota, let's go places. It's been over 100 days since Russia invaded Ukraine, and the war doesn't show any signs of ending soon. KPBS reporter Kitty Alvarado spoke with a local businessman who's been bringing help to Ukraine. Bruce Talley, a businessman from Encinitas, has been visiting Ukraine to deliver donated medical supplies. Virtually every person has some sort of tragedy that has touched them. In Lviv, he met Oleg, a volunteer who described just how critical the need is in their hospitals. They're full of wounded people. The main local hospital in Lviv, who is overloaded with patients to the degree that they do surgery in the toilet. And in places like Kharkiv, where Russians stopped shelling, civilian areas are being targeted again. And I heard the shelling on and off for an hour or two during the day and then again that night. And there were nine people, civilians, that were killed. There he met Yevhen, a volunteer traumatized by what he saw. Were a lot of civilians killed here? A lot. I saw, I saw at, at least me, I saw, I saw five burning in the flat. Uh, I'm not recommend to everyone to see what I saw yeah. before in this war. Tally says he'll continue to make trips as long as there's people in need. It's important from a moral standpoint to support people who are being victimized. Kitty Alvarado, KPBS News. 
Ukrainians are still fleeing their homes due to the war, and some refugees have made it to San Diego. KPBS health reporter Matt Hoffman tells us about San Diegans who are stepping up to help one Ukrainian family. All right. This dental procedure is months in the making, delayed by war in Ukraine. We are in a very serious and heartbreaking situation. We have nothing other than our travel suitcases, and we are completely dependent on the volunteers helping us. Olena Vorobielva is from Ukraine's capital city, Kyiv. She was on vacation in Mexico with her husband and teenage son when Russia invaded. The family sought haven in the U.S. by crossing the border in San Isidro, but there's still no escaping the horrors of war. People don't understand what we're going through. Several times a day, I'm getting text messages from friends and family with deaths of loved ones. Once in San Diego, Vior Biova and her family moved into a host home with La Jolla resident Jane Wehrmeister. I had seen everything that was going on and down at the border, how people were able to come across under humanitarian parole. However, I realized, well, where do they go once they cross the border? Wehrmeister has been helping the family adjust to life here. With a little Google Translate, she learned that Olena was in the middle of a dental procedure before Russia invaded. Unable to return to Ukraine and finish the work, she reached out to the San Diego County Dental Society. They found dentist Alona Gable with Inspire Smiles. Maybe I can't stop the war, but I can make it better for the people who are here. So that was like an immediate yes. You know, I responded right away to email. I called them several times and make sure you put me on, make sure you send them here. Gable is Russian. Me having this unique skill, you know, of speaking Russian, being there for them, right, being able to communicate and also large part of what we do is to give back. So any opportunity I have to give back, especially considering, again, people are here because of the war, like not by choice, right? Some of Gable's family is still in Russia. Doing dental work on Vorobiova is not without risk. Uh, I'm taking a step of courage. I am almost certain it's going to negatively impact perhaps my family, but I'm just stepping in courage because, again, the principle of what's right is more important. Vorobiova is having four crowns replaced, typically at a cost of around $18,000, but Gable is not charging her. And this isn't the first time she stepped in to help. Gable's nonprofit Inspire Changes provides pro bono dental restorations for trafficking victims. She measures success on how much she can give and encourages others to do the same. Like be generous, like not just even giving, but like step beyond that and be like extra generous with time, anything that you can contribute to making another life um, better. I feel is the best way to be in the world and that's how we can make the world a better place and be the change. <laughs> Vorobiova is thankful for the help, but the disruption of war lingers in different ways. She says in Ukraine, her teenage son is an international karate competitor. As a mom, I feel completely helpless as I cannot do anything for my child. He is extremely depressed and barely communicates. He locks himself in a room, puts headphones on, and does not even speak to me. He is so young. He can't just sit in a room. 
all by himself without anything to do. Vorobiova wants to be independent and she's seeking work permits. We want people to understand that we have no say in the situation. We are prisoners of our circumstances. We just want to go home. Matt Hoffman, KPBS News. As anyone who's cared for young children knows, it's a very demanding job. But child care providers are generally paid very low wages, and the child care industry operates on razor-thin margins. There are few government subsidies for child care and no public school for kids under five. So most parents are pretty much on their own. But how did it get this way? The podcast No One Is Coming To Save Us digs into the history of child care and what could be done to heal the industry. KPBS reporter Claire Tregesser spoke with the show's host, Gloria Riviera. Here's that interview. I know this is a big question, but how did child care get to the state it's in today? First and foremost, if you look at it from the perspective of race, like just think about how we thought about Black families, Black women, Black children, right? Like Black women were hired to take care of white children. So think about all of what goes into that. And in terms of how we value the role of a Black mother and a Black child. So that's one thing. Secondly, I think it's really interesting. I did not know this, that the U.S. during World War II created incredible childcare and early education, sort of, I call them pop-ups now, but all the men were going off to war. So a few smart people said, these women who are now going to work to support the war effort, they will need help taking care of their children. And it was high quality. It was smart people. You know, in some cases they were in church basements, but in other cases they were beautifully designed buildings. And my favorite tidbit from that is that women would come home from their hard day, you know, in a factory and they would be, their child would be returned to them having had uh, an invigorating day, a, a creative day, you know, a happy kid. And they would also be handed in some places a warm meal because God forbid they go home and have to cook dinner for their family. When the war ended, those schools went away. Those, those facilities went away. You will also talk on the first season about a historic stigma around child care where the women who needed it were maybe lower income and maybe had husbands who couldn't work. Do you feel like is that stigma still at play today? Uh, yeah, I think the stigma has a lot of elements that go into it. So you look at the obsession with material wealth in our country. I mean, I remember on an ill-fated foray into law, I was a paralegal and my lawyer that I worked for was sending, you know, presentations from the labor, you know, she was about to have her baby. She was in the hospital and she was sending out presentations like, right before, or I mean, in the middle of contractions. And there's a part of our society, we all know this, that thinks that's kind of badass and like thinks that's kind of incredible and go her. She's, you know, working to the last minute. And that's so removed from a government, a country, a community that pauses to appreciate this moment in a woman's life when she's about to become a mother or, you know, a couple's life when they're about to, you know, 
adopt a child or anyone who becomes a parent. There's no pause in this country to say, wait a minute, how can we help you? Uh, so, so yeah, I think that, that that's our, you know, our societal obsession with <laughs> achievement has gotten seriously off kilter. So we've reported at KPBS, and I know you have as well, about the staffing shortages that have plagued childcare, especially during COVID. Are there areas that you feel like the government failed the industry? I think it's a really hard discussion to have. I think if you look at where we started, childcare providers have never been paid really a living wage. So the landscape to begin with was desolate and dire. And then COVID happens, and what a lot of places like Starbucks or Walgreens or Walmart, there's a long list of companies that were able to increase wages. So I guess that's more the corporate, the corporate perspective. Like it started to look really good to go to a place that could bump up your minimum wage significantly. And these childcare centers just couldn't do that. So... If your question is where was the failure, I think the failure was in not supporting the small, small companies. I'm thinking of home care facilities. If you were taking care of 50 kids, 100 kids, you got small business loans, home care providers did as well. But I feel like it was not as smooth a process as it might have been. That was Gloria Riviera, the host of the podcast, No One Is Coming To Save Us, speaking with KPBS reporter Claire Tregesser. And that's it for the podcast today. As always, you can find more San Diego news online at kpbs.org. I'm Annika Colbert. Thanks for listening and have a great day. KPBS On Demand is supported by Under the Sun Foundation, presenting the Candlewood Arts Festival in Borrego Springs, featuring temporary public art projects that engage community and place. March 23rd. More at candlewoodartsfestival.org.